0: everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Think a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today! We are not bringing on another guest. It's just going to be one of those episodes where Jeffrey Lavecchio and I are going to talk some hockey and today we are going to talk some ozone and D zone so some offensive zone play defensive zone play uh, some structure type stuff some habit type stuff really looking forward to doing that but before we do get to that let's introduce the other guy on the podcast the talent Jeff Lavecchio. what's going on today in STL
1: just living baby it's a rainy day here but uh, I got sunshine in my eyes and my heart Toph that's what's going on <laughs>
0: And rainbows too or something, or did I just feel like sunshine and rainbows, that's kind of like the saying, right?
1: I, I don't know. Sunshine reminds me of grandpa with the sunshine boys for anybody listening or grandpa who was actually a huge BA, like he is a bad Mama jamma back in his day. And he was in a street gang. And back then street gangs apparently had hilarious names and their, their gang name was the sunshine boys. So uh, yeah, you know, feeling like a sunshine boy right now. I don't even know what to say to that.
0: Uh, other than everybody that's listening should go listen to our grandpa. He he just got an Instagram
1: account called oh, what is it, oh, Grandpa yeah. Speaking, or something like that. No, that's just what he always says. I think it's Jeepa Hockey or Cheapa Hockey, hockey Jeepa. or something
0: like that. But he yep. uh, he has an opinion on a lot of different stuff, and uh, yes, he you, does. He informed
1: and entertained. What did he? He was just like a couple of weeks ago, right? That he just started it. Yeah, he did. I I walked him through it via FaceTime. Let me tell you, it was hilarious walking him through it. It was unbelievable helping him with that stuff. Uh, It was a good time. A few months back, he wanted to do a podcast.
0: So I was like helping him try to like get it done. And so I was like, Okay, first thing you have to do is you have to get an email address. And he's like, Well, how do I do that? I was like, just go to like Google and just and then I tried to walk him. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was so funny. Tope
1: was getting so mad at me, and I was like, (laughs) oh, my God. I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh, perfect. Tope couldn't walk you through setting up an email, but I'm going to teach you how to use Instagram. Oh, my God.
0: Either way, it's out there now. It's out there. So I'm excited to, uh, to see what Grandpa Speaking has in store. So hopefully you guys can go over there and check it out as well. But uh, I'm interested to talk some hockey. But before we talk some hockey here, I did want to address one thing. Um, so I sent out a tweet last week about how uh, it was a couple days after or might have even been the day of um when Jacob Blake was shot in Kenosha and Kenosha is a town that my parents you know we lived in Chicago but my parents worked in Wisconsin for a lot of years and and the town was like a town or two away from Kenosha I remember driving by it all the time and and uh, obviously a very what has come to be polarizing topic in our country uh with Black Lives Matter and, and police and And so, you know, it was just uh, one of those things where I feel like it's a time in the world where we got to stop shouting over each other and just take some time and actually listen to each other. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. And and coaching is so much more than just the stuff that we do on the ice and, and teaching hockey. And I wanted to use use a little bit of time to just talk to the kids about what they thought. And, and so I got them all in the locker room and and started the discussion, but they basically led it. And I just wanted to know what their feelings were on everything that was going on just life-wise. And uh, it just led to a lot of really good conversation um, it was very, very awkward at first, very uncomfortable for a lot of them at first to try and talk about things that are uncomfortable things to talk about. But once a couple kids started to share with their feelings and their thoughts and their ideas, more kids started to, to jump in. And it was just uh, it was a really great learning moment for me to see what 17 year old kids and what they thought about what was going on. And, and uh, then when I shared that tweet, it kind of blew up. So I thought I'd address it kind of here today, but it's just really, really interesting stuff, man. Like we got to listen more than we shout over each other, you know?
1: Yeah. I just love that. You just gave the kids a platform to just talk, you know, it's, it's hard being a kid, you know, I think sometimes, uh, especially teenagers and especially right now, obviously I can't even imagine. And I know like, when I resumed things in the gym, like I had some kids who told me they, you know, they took the, the quarantine period pretty hard. And, you know, I think that we just like forget about that, that they're going through changes and they're all these different things are happening in their life. And if they're playing hockey, they're trying to reach their goals and maybe they're getting cut from teams and then they have school. And then, all these things that they have going on and now you throw on top of it what's going on in America with COVID and then, you know, riots and like all this stuff. And man, it's got to be a confusing time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that uh, one of the kids mentioned in, in our talks about, you know, all of that different kind of stuff is it was really profound actually. And I put it in the tweet and, and one of the kids said, you know, coach, like God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Because we should be listening twice as much as we are talking, and I just think that's something that's really, really missing. Like I feel like when a lot of people have these types of conversations, whether they're you know dinner table conversations with your crazy siblings and aunts and uncles, or if you're talking to friends, or even I mean on social media, it's it's the worst. But you know, people listen only to get a counterpoint to your thoughts. You know, <laughs> like don't, they don't, don't actually. About
1: our family. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I wasn't, but that certainly, certainly would uh, apply to our family, you know, but like people, they don't listen to listen and to get the other person's point of view, people listen just so they're, they're just like waiting to give their point. And uh, I, I just think if we can listen more and, and put ourselves in other people's shoes and a lot of times in these issues, like, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's just an opinion. And, you know, both sides can be right. Both sides can be wrong. I mean, it just, it's unfortunate that, you know, it's like, just the megaphones and and the megaphones that people have, they drown out the people who actually have opinions as well. And that was one of the things that the kids talked about. It was like, you know, we don't even feel like it's, it's we should be talking because we're not going to be heard <laughs> because nobody's going to listen. Nobody really cares. And because all these people just shout at each other and they fear what's coming back at them. So like, if they actually give an opinion, somebody that's going to disagree with them is going to have their megaphone and like, you ridicule them, and that's not obviously not what they want. I don't think that's what anybody really wants. And I just think it was a great lesson. Great lesson for me to just kind of sit down and listen to what they're doing. I think we all got better that day, and and uh, it was just a really good conversation,
1: man. Did you say it at ate into practice a little bit too? Did I read that in one of the? Yeah, it
0: did. I mean, it ended up. I love that going love half that. the practice. So at the end, you know, we were kind of like, all right. It's, we got about 25 minutes left in practice and we just went out and we just had fun. We just played some four on four and played some games and kids got it went from kind of like a serious kind of conversation to we just went out and had some fun. I think the kids appreciated that too. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's good to get outside your bubble. Uh, We all live in a bubble. We all are a product of our experiences and our education. And I think the more you can get experiences, the more you can get educated on things that you don't know about, different perspectives from different people that have different life experiences, the better off we're going to have perspective, the better off we're going to be able to come to opinions and, and hopefully come to common ground, which is what we're all searching for. Well, maybe it's not. A lot of people aren't searching for common ground. It seems like everybody's trying to divide us right now, but uh, we can get to common ground when we, when we have more perspective on what others go through.
1: Yeah. And I loved everything that you wrote in that tweet. And obviously I would have loved to have been in that room, but I love that you like, because the conversation kept going, you allowed it to, and you weren't like, well, we got to practice. It's like, there's some things that are just so much more important. And so many people like, just so many people with ice time they're they're like so crazy about like oh, we gotta keep the kids moving and we gotta do the like, man there's some things that are more important and and there's some things that like even if it wasn't a serious talk like you were having in a very uh great and needed talk that these kids needed to have some time to express themselves even if you were doing like video like maybe video for an extra 10 minutes is more important than you getting on the ice on time i just feel like so many people are just like if they're not moving all the time we're wasting money we're wasting time we're wasting practice it's like man like calm down like you got to teach too you have to teach
0: preach yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. But I just wanted to mention that on the podcast here because, you know, that, that tweet, it, it kind of blew up and, and I'm glad that a lot of people feel the same way. I think a lot of people that get into coaching and, and parents appreciate when, when coaches teach life lessons. That's why we put our kids into sports is to teach them lessons. that's going to help them when sports has been long gone. So, um, and I think the kids learned a little bit that day. I certainly did too. And, and, uh, I, I, you know, thought it was, that was just really informational as a as an older adult to kind of hear what these kids had to say and to get their opinions was was very informative and and uh really necessary also I think.
1: <laughs> very cool, man. Very cool.
0: All right, all right, you ready to talk some hockey? Let's do it. All right, we're gonna talk some hockey here. We're gonna talk some offensive zone and defensive zone play. And uh the way that we'll kind of go about it, Vex, is like I think we'll start with the D zone and I think maybe we can go from a couple different types of structure that teams use in their defensive zone and then talk about some of the habits within those structures that can lead to better defensive zone play. Does that sound pretty good? Love it. All right, cool. So starting off, let's talk about man on. So there's a couple different types of structures that teams use when it comes to defensive zone. One that a lot of teams use is just man on man. It's pretty simple. Um, have you ever played for a system or played for a coach that played man on man? Yep. How'd you like it?
1: I like it in the fact that it's very easy to know your responsibility. Like, there's my guy. Just don't let him beat me, you know? (laughs) So, like, it's very easy. It's also, on the flip side, it's also much easier to beat and to break because you just run a couple picks, you know, if you have a good offensive mindset team and you run some picks. Like, getting picked in the D zone is so hard – uh if you're playing if you're playing a man-on-man system you know style whatever you want to call it ideology whatever so it's awesome for some reasons and not awesome for others
0: yeah for sure it's uh from a coaching standpoint it's the most pretty much the most simple one to teach (laughs) You, you get a guy you know the two wingers they have their two defense and uh if that's the way that you play with your wingers up top and and uh then you know the center and the d play 3 on 3 down low and and you just you have your guy you make sure that you're in between your guy and the net you're on the defensive side and then you just kind of go from there um, but it is like it is something like there's no so the next one we'll talk about is having a layered d zone and there's no layers there so if you get beat you're kind of screwed <laughs> because mm-hmm. then somebody else is going to have to go fix your mistake, and then he's leaving somebody open. Or they don't do that, and that person's got a wide lane right to the net. You know, so man on man. I think if it's something, if you have defensemen and download players that can play that are very responsible defensively, um, it could be a good system. Like we play man on man a lot at uh, at Cornell because we have big, smart. D men that can skate that have good sticks and 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 all of that kind of stuff so we we played it a lot and and played it pretty pretty well i mean we're always one of the top teams in the country uh, defensively um, but it is one of those things it's actually like when we played against teams who were man and man on man because we were a puck possession down low type team we we viewed it as an advantage for us because it's okay we were really good at cutbacks bigger guys down low bringing it to the net so it's like once you cut back and you got that guy beat you bring it right to the net and it's smooth sailing right there and so it's a, it's an interesting system to play and uh, I, I think what you said hits the nail on the head when you get teams that get a lot of movement and you involve the D and you can set picks with your D coming down and and picks on the cycle in the corner and stuff. I mean, that just creates a lot of confusion. I actually just did a deep dive on a, on a kale McCarr assist where he did that exact same thing. He came down with the puck on a four on four situation. The forward came up the wall. So it was like a scissors play. He pretended like he was going to drop the puck to the forward, both, both uh, defenders went to the guy who, who they thought he was going to drop the puck to, and McCarr just came right to the net basically unimpeded. And so, uh, yeah, I, I agree with the picks and, and the movement is huge if you want to beat that system.
1: Yeah, I think every system probably starts in man-on-man. Like, you have to come back to your spot or, or read and react and fill whatever spot you're filling, depending on who your coach is. But like, every system is going to start man-on-man or, or, like, start in your – your zone or your area of the ice whatever and you kind of look around and you're like all right there's one guy here that's kind of my guy right now and then you either go into man-on-man or you go into an overload or you go like whatever you know you're calling it layered whatever your system defensive scheme is whatever then you kind of uh, fan out from there I think anyway so it's good to teach that at the younger ages I'm sure just to kind of like well this is your starting point and this is like the ground zero for where you're going to be defensively.
0: Yeah. It's always good, right. To like teach kids, those fundamental principles of one-on-one play, you know, be between your man and the net, have your head on a swivel, have your stick down um, always know where your guy is. I mean, those are just fundamentals at the younger ages that can help you, build those blocks of of hockey sense from a defensive standpoint as you get older so like if I'm if I'm a coach at the younger ages might squirt peewee whatever um I think man a man's a really good situation to to teach your kids for sure
1: 100 percent, and I would I would definitely say that if you're gonna teach your kids that or have them playing that like one big thing that I had trouble learning when I was really young um playing in that type of system was like always have your head on a swivel and yeah. what your feet are doing like it's so important where your toes are pointed like you're not pointed at the puck like you don't just if I, well, I was a left winger so if you're a center obviously you're going to the corner your toes are pointed at the puck but like if you're a left winger and the puck's down in the left corner like your toes should not be pointed directly at the puck because that means your head your toes your hips everything's facing the puck like you need to have head on a swivel you know, depending on who your coach is, you know I've had some coaches who are like put your put your butt on the boards and toes to the middle.' had some coaches who are the opposite, put your butt to the middle, toes to the boards, <laughs> head on a swivel, like you gotta listen to your coach, but like make sure coaches out there like you're teaching the kids to be, you know, re, look, where's the puck? Where's my guy? Where's the puck? Where's my guy? Kind of have your feet moving. You don't want to be stuck standing still. When I was younger, I was the king of getting my feet stuck on train tracks. And when I got my feet stuck on train tracks, I was absolutely terrible and useless at hockey. So like, that was like one of the biggest keys in my game all growing up and I talked about it, always move your feet, always move your feet. So that's something that I would make sure coaches who are listening to this, something to think about from a teaching standpoint.
0: Yeah. And I think that the toes pointed in a certain direction. I think that's something that's being talked about a lot more nowadays and just referencing what you're talking about. Like, you know, you're, your head, like that's what a lot of kids struggle with, is just I think puck watching, right? Just looking at the puck and not having an understanding of what else is going on around you. I struggled with that all the way up until I mean, even in college hockey, there were times where you struggled with that. And so, you know, with your toes pointed to the side and your head on a swivel, now you can see what's going on in the corners. You can see what's going on at the blue lines, and having your head on the swivel and not just being toes pointed at the puck directly puck watching that's uh that's huge for overall awareness and and being able to be in your position between the man and the net which is typically where you want to be
1: yep yep that was always hard for me that was i i had to like and i always thought like oh, i'm doing the right thing until video came in with Jim Markey <laughs> at the chill when i lived with <laughs> you when i was 16 and i was like Oh, I am always puck watching, and my feet are never moving unless <laughs> I have the puck. Like now, I get why you're yelling at me all the time, and that definitely changed the way I played hockey. So that was huge.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, man on man. I mean, it's uh, try to give you some of the pros and cons to each offensively, how to beat it, <laughs> um, and and in the right situations to play it for sure. Um, the next one want to talk about is kind of like a layered defense. And people have different names for this, but it basically gives you a little bit of a safety valve if somebody does get beat. So typically what you have, and this is what a lot of teams do, uh, if the puck is in the corner, the first guy to it, let's call him a defenseman. He's going to go and and attack the puck carrier and play the puck carrier. The second guy is going to be kind of right off his hip a little bit towards the net. Uh, So if he does get beat, you know, he's there to kind of be a safety valve. He also has his head on a swivel because there's probably going to be another person in the corner down that way. So it's a little bit of a two on two, if you want to call it that. Then you typically have a third defender, typically another defenseman that's going to be in front of the net. So first guy gets beat. There's that second layer of defense. That second guy gets beat. There's another layer of defense right there. And then the wingers are typically doing the same thing where one of the wingers is, is in charge of one of the points. One of the other wingers in charge. Of the other points um and so it just gives you a little bit of protection um against it depending on who the coach is it might be a little bit more conservative or even aggressive i guess depending on who the coach is um but it's it just an added like that's what it's called layered defense just added layers in there um if you do get beat one-on-one as a defender
1: yeah i think it's probably when you have smaller d-men maybe that's a uh, skill uh, a scheme. I don't know what you want to call this, like a Some defensive structure, whatever. Structure. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, you know, maybe if they're, they have a harder time hitting and pinning, containing, it's probably maybe a smarter route to go. Cause like you said, Cornell had big boys and, you know, they were able to, you know, make that quick cut, quick fake and then try and get body position and then drive the net. So like if you have that added layer, it's going to be another guy to get between. The puck in the net on the defensive side, and make it a little bit harder. So I mean, I feel like most pro teams play, you know, some kind of have some kind of safety valve like that. Um, you know, when, at college I we played man on man, but when we would play teams like like Miami or like Lake State or like Northern Michigan, they were so good down low. When I was playing 8 million years ago, that they always had – it was always like they were outnumbered. If we had three forwards, they had four. If we had four guys down there, they had five. Like, it was like you beat – I was pretty good at spinning off D-Man and, like, taking a couple of quick strides, getting body position. But against those teams, you beat a guy, and you're running right into the next guy. And you're like, oh, what the, where did you come from? Like, yeah. what? I was so excited to just beat that guy. Um, and when you played a man on man team, like, you're a scoring chance every time you do that. So – um, I think that's a much harder game, uh, team to play against. But what do you usually do then? You kick it up top, or you get it to that weak side D, and then he's usually got a, a little bit more time because somebody has slid down, and now it's just a net front battle. You know, with that D man taking a shot, and you're looking for greasy goals.
0: Yeah, I mean that's one of the things you're hearing a lot more in hockey now than when we were playing is low to high because so many teams are collapsing down low, like you even look at, and we'll talk about it, like the swarm outnumber defense. It kind of goes along with it. It's almost like you take your layered defense and then you just take your net front guy and you bring him to the corner and try to outnumber. You take your winger who's on that strong side defenseman, you bring him down and, and put his stick in the middle. And then you take your, your weak side winger and he's basically in charge of the front of the net. And so you, there's literally no time and space down low because there's, yeah, four five guys within a stick length or two stick lengths of each other. So that's why there's so much, you know, there's so many people down low, it's hard to make plays. That's why you hear low to high. So you get it up to the up to the point and then you have to spread the defensive zone out. And, um, yeah, so that's why you hear low to high so much, because so many teams now are just outnumbering down low with those players and there's no room.
1: Yeah I think I think like um, a good defensive way to think about that is if you can hit and pin like and then somebody else swarm or whatever your code word's going to be and you, then you can get guys in there try and push their the, the offensive team into the boards kind of pin them have somebody just kick that puck out you should know that one of your guys is going to be coming in there whether it's week's id center down low winger like whoever and now you're going the other way and you should because of body positioning in the d zone you push those forwards to the outside you should be closer to the net you're trying to go score on and hopefully have an odd man rush
0: yeah yeah we used to call it surround so if like we get we get the the peop, the offensive guys who are in the corner trying to cycle if we can get them surrounded you know, where you get kind of a two on two in a really tight area. And and maybe there's a little muck around the boards. Then you send that other guy in there and you outnumber, try to get the puck and then go back the other way in, in transition. So I know a lot of teams use that as kind of like a key for that guy to go outnumber. If you are playing more of a layered or more of a man on man type situation. Um, but yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, what you're kind of seeing now. And and when you're watching the game, a lot of teams offensively are trying to get out of the corner so fast, <laughs> trying to go low to high or try to change sides from one side to the other because they don't want to be outnumbered. And so what you're seeing a lot, especially um, when the puck goes up high, is you get a third forward high. And then it's, it almost looks like five. You know how the dice looks at, looks like? The five where it's like yep. two guys up top, one in the middle, and then two kind of down low. That's what it looks like all the time when the puck goes low to high. And you just got to make sure that then it gets to man on man because you just got to pick somebody up whenever it gets out of those structured situations. And so you see the 2d at the, at the, at the top, you see the high forward coming up and then you see uh, one of the defenders coming up right on that high forward. For the most part, it looks like uh, people watching. Once you watch the next couple of games, I guarantee you, you see it all the time now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that third-man high, especially in pro hockey, college hockey, like it's massive, and it just opens everything up. You go low to high, and then somebody's swinging up top. The D-men are moving, they're sliding. Fake a shot, you hit the guy in the middle. He should have a little bit of time because the, the pressure relieved out of the corner, and he created separation. It's very hard to defend, but you're also like you're not in the best scoring position as long as the defending team gets out of that corner quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's why you see, even too, like, you know, you look at a lot of the best players in the league, you see them with the puck up high now. Like, Patrick Kane, how often do you see him with the puck in the corner? Doesn't happen very often. Like, his McKinnon yeah, they're trying to get the puck and move out of the corner so fast that so those defenders can't get to them. And uh, it's just such a good way of, of talking about offense. I think Belfry calls it the elbows of the ice where you get into kind of like in, like in between the blue line and the top of the circle along the wall, because of that little elbow area, a little soft area type stuff because nobody's really going to come in. Like the D don't really want to come out that far. You know, right. the forwards try to, trying to stay in the line of their D, so it just gives you some more time and space. And that's what hockey is as a, as a offensive player, you're always trying to create time and space and finding those spaces on the ice as a defensive player, you're trying to take that away. So by the offense getting out of the corner quickly by going low to high or skating it out or changing sides behind the net, whatever it may be, that's what they're trying to do. And you're seeing a lot of that in the game today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's where the skill guys hang out is that area. <laughs> I wasn't over, That was like a tope spot. I was standing in front getting cross checked in the back and the teeth while you were hanging out there. And I'm just like, shoot it at me, please. <laughs> I liked it in the corners, man.
0: That's where I really? made my living. I feel like, yeah, well I'm so small. So like cutbacks and stuff like that. Like I can, I, I used it. I thought it was an advantage. And people always say it was a disadvantage because you're not big and strong and brute force strength. Like I always saw being small as an advantage because I can cut back on guys so much quicker and, and get to places. But Wish they would have thought that in pro hockey. Maybe I would have got a little bit farther.
1: (laughs) No, it's true. I remember going to try and hit Gerby in like in the American League, and he was just always. And I played with him in junior, so I knew he was slippery. But like, just jacked as anyone in the league, and just so small that you go to hit him, and like you, if you if you like trying to hit him hard, you're probably going to get a penalty elbow in the head, like just where your elbows are in relation to his head. Oh yeah, drew a lot of penalties growing up yeah it's like man when you're when you're that size you can use it to your advantage you can escape so easily for sure
0: yeah yeah um so another thing I want to talk about too is I feel like if I'm a youth coach and we're talking about kind of like structure and stuff I think it's so important that players play are able to play up high and down low defensively um so they're learning and they can play different positions as they get older so I would encourage coaches you know, it's not D and center in the corners. It's like first guy back in the corner and then second guy back is the next layer or the next man, on man, third guy back goes to the front of the net, fourth and fifth guy. Like you're in charge of, of, up, up high and, and taking the D. I just, you know, when you get to the older level, older levels, a lot of the reasons why certain players play wing and not center is because they can't play defensively down low. And it just limits you in your opportunities to play. If you can't play defensively, like in college, like I did not play center for my first couple of years, I started off as a center, but I wasn't very good defensively. So the coach had to put me at wing and that just limited my amount of ice time. It limited so many different things. And then when I got better defensively, you know, they trusted me more at center and, and I could play down low. I could play more minutes and and ultimately where I was more comfortable playing because offensively, that's where I like to play in the middle. You know, so I just feel like teaching kids to be able to play down low and having them play different positions, I think, for development is such a big thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, we've talked about it on the podcast before. I think up until like 14, 13, I think every kid should play every position. Like, I don't care if you're going to lose some games because of that. You're going to make the kids way better, Uh, you know. And so, like, we're playing in those systems or whatever where you're forcing them to do that on the ice and read and react. Like, you're going to make them better. And then on top of that, I think that center should play wing and guys who like playing wing should play center. And I think forward should play D and D should play forward. I just think that it just makes sense to see different vantage points on the ice And when you're not like just six or just seven, like when you're like 12 and 13, and now you're understanding hockey, like I think it really is important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Amen to that. All right. I want to talk about a few habits. I mean, we've talked about a lot of these habits already, um, but I think there's a couple habits. Like I have five written down right here that just, I think, need to be encouraged and emphasized in practice when you're teaching these kinds of things to your kids. We've talked about a few of these already. Number one is head on a swivel. Head on a swivel is so important in the defensive zone. Having an understanding of where your player is, if you're playing more of a man-on-man type situation, uh, where the pressure is coming from, everything like that. So I'm sure that was something that coaches harped on you, eh? As you were kind of coming up.
1: Well, yeah, I told you I was staring at the puck with my feet standing still (laughs) in the D zone until Stas got the puck and I would just sprint for a breakaway and then he'd hit me and I'd snipe. Like That's what my job was. What was your breakaway move? You had like a breakaway move that you always used, didn't you? Yeah, the boys were hilarious. I called it the Lavecchio. I literally would just skate like Luis Mendoza. Stas would flip the puck high. I would skate like Luis Mendoza. I'd beat everyone up the ice. I would make one stick handle to my backhand and have an empty net every time. It really? was ridiculous. It was not even a move. It was, I was skating so fast that I would just stick handle one time around the goalie. It stopped working in juniors because like people were good at hockey, but it did work for a long time. Hey, I stopped. <laughs> Put it in, Luis. <laughs> yeah, basically. That was my life.
0: Oh, that's funny. Uh another another habit that I have, again, this is just a simple one, but be on the D side between your man and the net. Um, so you're not getting beat with an understanding of you have your head on a swivel and you know where the puck is at all times. So just having the ability to know where the puck is, know where your man is, and being in between your man and the net on the defensive side, again, just uh something to something to really emphasize, I think, too.
1: And if you ever get lost, if you ever get picked. Literally, just back up. Like, if you keep that guy between the puck and the net, like, if he gets a shot off, you at least won't allow him to get the rebound. And if everyone else on the ice is staying between their man and the net, yeah, you're gonna shots are going to happen. But, like, at least hopefully you're in the shooting lane, so maybe you block it. And at the very least, hopefully they're on the outside of the rink, which means it's a less percentage shot, and there shouldn't be a rebound because you are between the man and the net. So, like, if you ever get in trouble, like, back up and then you can reengage instead of chasing or, like, oh, I got to go chase that guy. No, 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 back up, get between the puck and the net, get between your guy and the net, and then reengage. Like, that is, like, the simplest way when there's, like, a mistake. Before you, like, chase your guy around the ice, like you said with the, uh, with the McCarr thing, you know, the two guys locked on one, oh, God, instead of chasing him back down the wall, sprint back towards the near post and then reengage from there. Yeah. Get back to the
0: middle as quick as you can just retreat for sure. So let me, let me ask you this, actually, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about a question because I think there's, there's almost two different types of mentalities when it comes to the defensive zone. You have one of the mentalities, which is get the puck back as fast as you can, like go get it outnumber, get the puck back. Let's transition. Let's go on offense. And then you have the other thinking where it's like, okay, let's take away the middle of the ice. So we're going to play a little bit more passive. We're going to take away the guts of the ice, keep them to the outside and uh, they won't get any quality scoring chances from the middle of the ice. When, you know, you'll allow the other team to have the puck and possess the puck in your zone for extended periods of time, but they're not going to almost get quality chances because you're taking away so much of the, where the quality chances happen. So do you have a preference of which way you like to play and kind of like Same question, but wording it differently. Was there a different style that you like to play against better? Like when you were playing offensively, would you rather have a team that's more passive or aggressive?
1: I think if we're talking about pro hockey and you're literally solely playing to win, I think that it goes kind of line by line or team by team. So like if you have a better team and you have a smart team and you have a strong team, like get the puck back as fast as you can. But if you're playing on a team that's weaker in the league, which I did a couple times during my pro career, like I think backing up might be the play. Um, if you have guys who are willing to block shots, if you're not as good or your D aren't as smart or you're, you have younger players or whatever, like, you know, if you're playing a three and three and you're tired, you need to conserve energy. You know, maybe you close off the middle a little bit more, let them shoot it from the outside, hope it rims around the boards, and now you guys are off to the races. Like, kind of things like that. So I think it's very case by case. As an offensive player, uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I, I didn't like playing against teams that sit back. I liked having guys chase me into the corner and me being able to try and, like, twist in the corner as they're hitting me and then move my feet to get out from under them. Like, I liked pressure. Uh, down low and I loved playing below the goal line. So like, I didn't want guys to sit back. Um, I liked teams coming after me because I'm jacked and I would just be like, what's up? Peace. But um, yeah, I think it's case by case, man. You, I agree. Well, so I think you
0: hit the nail on the head is you just got to play to your identity. Not necessarily like a one way is better than the other, but if you're bought into it and everybody's doing their job defensively, because at the end of the day, a lot of times if one person messes up, it's going to screw everything up. Yep. And everybody has to play their role. Everybody has to do their job. And I've certainly as an offensive player played in games offensively where teams are all over you and it's frustrating because you get zero time and space with the puck. Every time you get the puck, you're getting hit, and that's frustrating. But then you, there's other times when you play when the other team's just kind of sitting back, and you have the puck a lot, but you're not freaking doing anything with it. <laughs> you get no shots, no chances. Every shot's getting blocked and all that kind of stuff. So I think it goes to just a buy-in to that system is more important than the system itself. Because like, if, you, if you're playing aggressively, you need to have smart players that can make reads in an instant. If you don't, if guys are just going aggressively and going all over the place, then you're just being so susceptible to little, little plays around you and then getting beat and you're, you're hooped. Or if you're playing a team that doesn't like – like if you're a more, less aggressive team but you don't want to block shots – Like, you're hooped. Like, you have to block shots. You have to box out in front of the net. Like, if you're a soft team, it's useless. So, again, I've been frustrated or happy to play against both different sides. But I think if your team is bought in and if everybody does their job, then you're tough to play against either way.
1: Yeah, the the biggest thing is the team has to be bought in, whichever style you're playing. There's nothing better being an offensive player when a team you're playing against is not on the same page or they're like half, they're ha- Some guys are going hard and some guys aren't. That's where you expose, you know, those guys who aren't going hard. And then the guy who is that creates holes in the ice. So yep. it's like, you either got to be all on the same page going, or you all got to all be on the same page, not going. If you're half in like you're, you're there's, you have no chance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. So I just want to, as you were talking, just a little tangent there, but I thought it'd be interesting conversation uh another habit and this is oh my god one of my biggest pet peeves in hockey (laughs) just you're pissed put your stick down oh god yeah have your stick on the ice like when i was doing video when i was at cornell and there's players that are standing with their stick at their hips i would get so frustrated (laughs) so frustrated, you know, and, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, you got to teach them and, and I would actually teach it a lot differently now. I mean, at the time it was kind of like just telling them, put your stick down. But I think as a coach now, years later, I would actually do drills where it would force them to put their sticks down kind of like, all right, you get a point. If you deflect a pass, you get a point. If you deny a passing lane, uh, like actually putting them in situations where they're going to have to do it rather than just keep saying and wanting to, you know, burst my brains that just put you, how hard is it to put your stick down on the ice? But if if you've never been told to do that your entire life, like it's a habit and it's a habit that needs to be worked on. So if your stick, it's so simple. If your stick is down, you're taking a passing lane away. If your stick is up, you're, you're basically useless and you're, you're useless. So one of the things that I do with my teams at the beginning of every year is we, we do a five on five, Um, just little scrimmage in the D zone and the defense is not allowed to have a stick. All of them do not have a stick. And it's like, see how easy this is to play against. This is exactly what you guys look like. And they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I just, it's it's a simple thing, but it's like,
1: just put your stick down. Yeah. You can throw a gel stick in their hands, especially younger kids. So it's heavier. So it's harder for them. You know, maybe you can only play one stick, one hand on your stick and that'll force them to keep their stick on the ice or like, Yes, like you just said, you know, another drill like don't don't let them have a stick and see how easy it is offensively. Like I've said it on this podcast a billion times. That is one of the biggest things that changed my game in junior hockey was that Hastings beat that into my head for my first two years. He must have stopped video 10 times a game the first two years that I was playing and for me trying to hit somebody with my stick in the air and they were able to just pass it around me as I was hitting them. And I was just like, Jesus, is this that important? It literally is the reason that I got jobs is because I would score by tipping passes on the PK and getting a shorty or, or in the offensive zone turning a puck over that I would wind up somehow getting a point off of like it literally changed my game stick pressure. Like It is the number one thing that changed my game was stick pressure. I, I cannot say it enough and I cannot stress it enough to youth coaches teaching that stuff. Was it, was it a big part of your game? It was, I mean, man. Did it change it, your game? It changed it. Big, big time, big
0: time. <laughs> Slap that bass, man. Uh, um, I like it. All right. Well, we we both kind of got, I don't want to say heated, but it's definitely,
1: uh, a, I mean, it's again, it's such a simple thing, right? But it's so yeah. important. It's so hard when you're younger. Like I think back to when he was teaching it to me and I was, I was like in the game, I'm thinking I'm doing it. And then I watch video and my sticks over the glass and I'm like, what? How did you get up there? What the, <laughs> yeah. what the hell? Come on, Jeff, you idiot. Keep it on the ice.
0: Oh, I like it. Uh, Okay, next one. Again, a very simple one, but very, very important. And we talk about it so much. But communication, just talking it out in the D zone and how important it is, especially when somebody gets beat, especially when you're getting into the zone from like after a back check. Um, just sorting things out, talking things out. I have him, you take him, whether it's verbal communication, nonverbal communication, where you're po- actually pointing, you know, I have him, all that kind of stuff. It's uh it just gets everybody on the same page and it's just, uh, it makes life a lot easier defensively in your D zone.
1: Yeah. And I, I think this, you can really work on from the start of practice and I've said it on the podcast before, something I do with my teams is whether it's a drill where the coach is passing or it's a drill where the boys are passing on each other and it's your up shooting drills. If you make it a point, if a guy, if you're going to get a pass and then you go in and shoot, if that guy does not call for the puck, he does not get the puck. You'll see real quick that guys will start to talk because they don't want to go through a whole skating drill up and down the ice, then not get that cookie of getting the pass and getting their shot and being able to snipe on their buddy. Like, Make it a point. You have to call for the puck or else you do not get the puck. And then it'll start to spill over into other areas. Once you start talking, you realize, oh, my God, this makes the game way easier. And, you know, it just it goes from there. And in the gym, like when I'm throwing footballs with the guys or it's like they're getting a a football pass, non-dominant hand at the end of like an agility drill because it makes them go harder and they have fun and it's working on coordination. I'm like, yell for it. If you don't yell for it, don't pass it. So it's like all the time, just re, re-emphasizing over and over and over, you have to talk, you have to talk. In the defensive zone, there is nothing easier or offensively. I played with my head down all the time because I just wasn't good enough to keep my head up and stick handle at the same time. I told my linemates, you better talk to me. If you talk to me, I'll pass it to where your voice is. 100% I will. I won't see you, but I'll put it to where your voice is. So it's like offensively and defensively, you make everyone around you better by talking. Amen.
0: Yes, sir. No, man, no, uh, no need to elaborate further. I like it. Here we go. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, last one I want to talk about is playing defensively. I think you always got to be ready to play offense and ready for when that puck does turn over and hockey is a game of transition. You go from offense to defense, to offense, to defense, you know, all the time on the ice. So the more ready you are in the defensive zone, to get going offensively once your team does get the puck. I just think that's – I think it's more of a mentality thing than anything else. I just think that's so huge
1: um, to to teach and to coach. It's something that I got, like, chirped a lot for is that, like, as soon as my team would get the puck, I would be behind the other team. But it wasn't that I was starting before. Like, I'd see us get the puck, and I'd be next to my D-man because I was a winger. And as soon as we get the puck, I'm gone. Like I'm, I'm gone. And for a couple of reasons, one, like maybe you get a breakaway. All they got to do is throw it in the air or throw it off the glass and you're gone Two, you start to stretch, you open up holes. So if you're a winger and you're standing up close to your D man, cause that's, what's going on in your defensive zone scheme. And somebody gets a puck and starts kind of getting some ice by you blowing the zone or, or moving or whatever, like evacuating cause the centerman's coming up your butt. Like now you just created more space because you just push that D-man back. Now he's got way more real estate to have time and space, which then he can make a better play or enter the zone or whatever. And I think, it's, yeah, I think it's so important. When we were younger, people like people like used to look down on guys, not cheating, not standing on the other side of the D-man, but just like you see it and it's like, bam, we're going like, let's go to offense. I think nowadays guys are like way more praised for having that like quick decision-making. I don't know. When I was younger, like everybody used to chirp me and I'm like, I'm not on the other side of the D man. I'm standing right next to him. But when I see Toph get the puck, see you. Big time, big
0: time. I think uh, the way that the game is kind of going, is funny. I actually had a, a call a video chat with Patrick O'Sullivan and NAR the other day. And we talked Beauties. about exactly, yeah. Unreal. I mean, talk about getting better at the game, listening to smart people, just incredible. Um, but we talked about that, how like, and then again, it's not cheating the game, right? It's, it's anticipating. Yeah. So once you see that your team has the puck or even on coming back on the back check, like even teams now are not totally saying all five guys come back as hard as you can to get back on the back check. Maybe that fifth guy back, you're kind of lurking. And not yeah. cherry picking, but just coming back and, and watching the play so that if there is, and if you watch the NHL, like teams are doing that. Like you watch like a Patrick Kane or a Johnny Gaudreau, like they're always kind of sniffing when that turnover is going to be. And then they're gone offensively. Right. So, um, yeah, just, I think always being ready to transition, just like you were saying, and it just, uh, you're able to create offense. And, and I think it is a mentality thing for sure. And teaching your kids, like as soon as we get that puck, let's, let's get her going.
1: It's gamesmanship too. Like if you got if you got one, you know, you have the best d on the ice or you have your top pair and they're really good at knocking down pucks or they're really good at stopping two-on-ones or two-on-twos or whatever. And like you know that. Like, yeah, you're coming back and you're just like right next to your d So like he can't jump in the hole, but you're right in his pocket. So if that puck turns over, like good night, Jim Kite, you're on a breakaway and now team wins. Like I think that it's just out th- playing checkers – playing chess when they're playing checkers like it's just it's smart and when we were younger i feel like the dinosaurs used to like look down on trying to like think a step ahead like well now everyone's doing that stuff so i I love that yeah for sure man all right i think we uh i think we covered
0: i think we talked about a lot of the offensive things i have on here to to talk about um but uh, i think we did did a fairly decent job hopefully of, of talking about playing defensive zone what do you think
1: yeah, I and mean, we're two guys who just love offense, too. Yeah. <laughs> you were sick disher, and I just love scoring goals. So I think that we're definitely – I mean, you were good defensively, too, but we're just, yeah. we're just two yeah. guys. <laughs> mm. I was not in, in college and probably the American League, and then after that, I was like, nah, not anymore. I'm in Europe. What's up? They pay you know, me for goals, not for block shots anymore.
0: You know what the funniest thing is? So I never penalty killed at Cornell. Really? What? Yeah, no, didn't penalty kill. Just played on the power play. Wow. And um, it was funny because when I first played pro and I signed my first contract in Elmira, like they thought because I came from Cornell, which is like a very defensively sound team, that I would be this like kind of defensive type player. So f- literally the first game, the first game that I play coach puts me out there to take a five on three against (laughs) face-off against one of the top power plays in the league. And I was lost just completely (laughs) lost because I never had like, I looking back at it now, I should have tried to learn more about the penalty kill, but like I never did it. So I didn't take the time and effort to, to learn it. Um, And so (laughs) Just lost. And then finally I like learned it and was able to do it and it eventually became a halfway decent penalty killer, like when I played the two years and I played pro. But it's just funny how uh how things happen.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely hilarious. I went the opposite way. I was a penalty killer and then I stopped well, I guess I still did it in Europe, but I'd be like, Man, I'm good. I'll wait for the power play guys. <laughs> but I score I how about I scored on a five on three when I was the three in college. Did you? Yeah, like I, I think the, in my entire hockey career, like I think that was probably one of the coolest things I don't know if I you know, you don't see that very often like I totally took a penalty remember John Matsumoto remember that name yeah sick he's I think he's probably still playing or he just retired in the uh, like that guy's gross at hockey and I hooked him so bad onto the five on three and got a breakaway out of it and scored and the, you, you knew the ref knew that he messed up but he didn't want to call another penalty on us since we were already on the three and I wound up getting a bingo out of it and that was something I'll definitely never forget
0: nice that's awesome <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit of ozone here. So we have um, – I, I don't even necessarily think there's different types of systems and structure for the ozone, kind of like we talked about for, for the D zone, but I think I wanted to start it off with just some habits that can lead to success in the offensive zone if that works for you. It doesn't. Well, then what do you want to do?
1: <laughs> yes, it works, of course. i kidding.
0: <laughs> um, so just a couple different things um, when it comes to the offensive zone, the one that I wanted to talk about with you, because it was a huge part of your game and that's puck protection. So when you're able to protect the puck down low, hold on to it, bring a defender to you and then dish it, um, you know, those types of things, like what's important to you if you're a coach and you're teaching somebody now in terms of being able to protect the puck?
1: Uh, not get pinned. I, mean, I think that's a big one. Like, first of all, you got to establish body positioning. So even if you do have a deep like I love demon coming on me. Like, I think that players got to, they have to learn, they have to learn like those, the feel of what it feels like when a D-Man's on your back. And like, I've talked about it many times. I did not have very good vision or not, especially not like at the pro level, but like, that feeling of being down low and f- learning to feel where a D-man is on your body. Like if he's a little bit off center, like you should know which way he is so you can spin the opposite way or like learn how to suck them in. Like I liked when they got close to me, I didn't want separation because I wasn't going to stick handle through them. I was going to use my body to kind of, and straight. Well, you would bring like, them to you and then you would to, spin, to spin off and then you would yeah.
0: separate yeah. yourselves from them. Right.
1: right. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't want to like get to the puck really fast turn and be facing them and have to try and like go through their triangle because I would have chopped the puck into 400 pieces and (laughs) they would have just taken it away from me and been like, thanks. So like, I think that when you're talking about in terms of like learning how to puck protect, like let that, you know, you have those drills where where it's like a one-on-one in each corner and then a one-on-one on on top. And then it turns into a three-on-three. Coaches are always starting with the D-man facing the forward in the corner so the, cor- the forward's in the corner he's looking at the net the d-man's looking at him they blow the whistle and the d-man slashes him and it's over it's like that's not really realistic like make the forward face the boards at, or make the, have them both be close yeah. to the net skate to the boards together and then you're getting the puck at the same time which is more realistic of a rebound going into the corner and the d-man chasing you yeah so like teach those forwards like Maybe have the D-man one time go to the left side and hit you up from behind on the left side. One time hit you from behind on the right side. And so that forward can kind of like learn, oh, he's coming this way. I feel him. I see him. Okay, I can spin. And another thing I love doing is I'd let the D-man hit me, but i get my body close enough to the boards that I would like kind of use the glass as a slingshot. So like if you, if you get hit, if you try to get hit two feet from the boards, you're going to lose balance, fall forward, and then they're going to take the puck. But if you get hit right when you're getting to the glass and you kind of like bounce off the glass, it kind of slingshots you to then like get your feet under you and you can turn your feet quickly and kind of create separation. Yeah. So like I said, I think a big thing for forwards is learning to be okay with a D-man being on you and learn where that pressure is. Learn what it feels like. Learn what it feels like when it's a hand on your back versus like a cross check. Because a cross-check, if he's coming at you, is going to be a lot harder to spin than if he's got one hand and he's trying to poke. You can figure out which side is the poking hand and which side isn't. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: A couple other things, uh, like, kind of add to what you're saying, but also a couple different things. Like, when it comes to, like, you and me protecting a puck down low are very, very different (laughs) because of our our size, right? Um, So what you're talking about, I think is what is really big is again, it goes back to like these little habits, but shoulder checks, so like yeah. understanding where the pressure is coming from, so you can cut back one way or the other. Um, I think uh this is something we talk about with players all the time. just low, stay low, like mm-hmm. the minute you your legs go straight and your upper body goes straight, you lose all your power for yep. your cutbacks, you lose all your power for your acceleration and your agility, so having the ability to stay low, low center of gravity, which for me was. I had, I mean, I was already kind of that way to begin with, but, um, something that was really important. The other thing is like, when you do cut back, like take two or three steps hard right yes. afterwards, because that's when you can separate yourselves from the defenseman, right. Yes. Is cut back and go. It's not just a cut back. It's a cut back and go. If you, if yep. you forget about the go part, then you're not going to be able to beat the defenseman. Cause then he's just going to re-engage you. Um, And then the last thing is just like head up and like make a play. So it's not just cut back and go, it's cut back and go and make a play. Because if you beat that guy, chances are either it's right to the net and you got to make a play at the net or somebody else is coming right at you and you got to make a play to one of your teammates. So it's a a lot of cutback low center of gravity, keeping your head up. And then like, not just being satisfied with protecting the puck. Now, if it's, you're up by one or two goals in the third period and you just want to eat time off the clock, that's, that's a little bit of a different story. But you know, for the most part, I think what doesn't get taught enough is what happens after the puck protection.
1: 100%. And like you said, shoulder checking there too, like as you're going towards the puck, to protect it, shoulder checking will allow you to get a quick scan of the ice and kind of know at least about if you spin off that deep man in a second or two, where guys are, is there going to be another guy that if you spin, if you fake spin, right. And then you go left, you beat that guy. Is there going to be another demon there right away? And if there is, who's behind him? Is it one of your guys? Can you just do a little like shovel pass or will you have time? And then you've got a two on one and where is your guy? So like, yeah, that's so important. What you said. Yeah. Okay. So moving on here, uh, another thing that I
0: wanted to talk about is like we talked about a little bit, so I don't want to belaguer it, but offensively, you're trying to create time and space for you. And a lot of times how you do that is quick puck movement and trying to spread the D zone out. So D zones, trying to shrink your time and space as an offensive player, you're trying to create it. And so a lot of times how you do that, again, we talked about going low to high, talk about changing sides, talking about getting the puck and moving very, very quickly. Uh, I just think those are so, so important as you kind of go through. And it's just like not being content, just getting inside the zone and then allowing the defense to get on you, but actually like Taking strides and taking steps and moving or moving the puck to spread the defense out so you can create time and space for passing lanes.
1: Yeah, and I I loved doing this like uh, because I loved going to the net and planting my ass there so that they would have to put a D man there on me. And then that gives more space behind the net, which I love, you know, like I talked about playing behind the goal line, stuff like that. And then if you go up top, now there's even more space because everybody shrunk down. So for me, just like what I like to, I used to like to do is where's the puck got to go to score the net. So for me, if I'm going to score, it's going to be in the crease. I love to go to the net. Create, bring a, a d-man in with me and now that's created some kind of space because now that d-man if he goes into the corner and tries to do a swarm the puck goes up top i'm standing all by myself for a pass or a tip Ooh, and yeah. if he doesn't now at least there's more time and space for everyone else to spread out who are the skill guys yeah for sure you love that front of the net area <laughs> i just I mean, learned hey where's the puck gotta go to to, to score the yeah. net so where should i go <laughs> with limited skill the net and it worked yeah. Well, I mean, that's
0: another thing we can talk about and what's really important in creating offense and scoring goals. And that's a net presence. Like when you get to the older ages if the goalie sees it, he's going to stop at 99% of the time. Very yep. few players are that gifted where they can beat a goalie, especially from distance without any type of distraction in front of the net. And, you know, I think it's, it's morphed a little bit towards, I think maybe when we played, you had one guy just kind of there. Yeah stay in front i think now more it's a little bit more movement where guys are filtering in and out of that spot um right. and and there's more movement into it but uh i just think talking about having a net presence is so important when you're teaching offense that's where the goals are yeah. scored right in front of the net 100 yeah I don't, I don't even think we need to talk about it more
1: <laughs> no we got it
0: um, the other, the, the, one thing I should say though, is you talk about net presence in screens. So Steve Valaket, who runs Clearsight analytics, he's done a lot of different stuff. He's the one that coined the Royal road. Like he talks about layered screens. So not just one person in front of the net. I think it's easy as a goalie to kind of, I shouldn't say easy, but it's easier as a goalie to kind of look around that player and make a save. But when there's multiple screens, so let's say the pucks up at the point, you get one person that's in like the mid slot area. And then one person that's in front of the net. That's really hard for the goalies to try and stop so you're seeing that a lot more especially at the higher levels of hockey where you're kind of getting that double screen if that's what you want to call it and those you're, you're seeing in the analytics are showing how important they can be
1: yeah 100 percent. especially if the guy closest to the net is a moving screen like the yeah. more i worked with like goalie coaches and i'd always be picking my goalies brains and goalie coaches brains it's it's not so much just standing still because they'll look around you but like as the shot is coming Like this is obviously an unselfish play. You're not going to get a lot of tips, but like you just, as it's coming, just like skate in front of his eyes. Cause then he completely can't track the puck. Like he is a hundred percent going to lose sight of the puck for at least a quarter of a second. Hopefully that's enough where he just has to drop down and it goes in a corner in the net or something.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, Another thing I want to talk about using the back of the net. I think uh, as an offensive player, when you have the ability to use the back of the net it's, it's huge. And a lot of times it happens when you're skating out of pressure, you know, when they're trying to outnumber you and you're trying to kind of change size to go to the other side. I always love to use the back of the net to to use body positioning to get away from players. You know, it used to be a little bit more of a safe zone where you'd see guys kind of like standing behind the net and like a Gretzky type thing where they would have it for an extended period of time and, and then try to find the guys in the slot or whatever. But I, I always loved using the back of the net as the offensive player to try and shield the defender away from you as you're kind of trying to skate away from him. And uh, I just, I, I love teaching that as well. I think you always use the back of the net.
1: I mean, it's a huge pick. Like it's a yeah. massive natural pick. So like if you spin and you beat a D man and you don't see anything, you can kind of like pick him with the net, like kind of suck him in and then step right really close to the net. And now he, he literally can't get you. And then maybe he tries to go out in front of the net then you cut Back again and now you've used the net as a pick again like it's it's just uh it's an object out there for you, for you to use as a shield like you said and the smartest players figure out how to do that real quick totally totally all right moving on I got
0: three more things on here to talk about uh the first one using all five players in in the offensive zone so I think gone are the days I shouldn't say gone are the days because there's a situation where situations where it works where the D are just kind of staying at the point, but you're seeing D so much more active nowadays uh in getting in in the cycle, getting in uh to certain spots in in the slot, uh scissoring. So like if uh you know forward's coming up with the puck, that D is either coming down the middle or that d is coming down the wall to, to scissors. So I just think the more you can teach and and, and and a lot of it I think at the youth ages is just kind of letting them figure it out on their own. Maybe have a couple tendencies a couple things that you teach them on where to go but just encouraging them to to find the spots to to be active on the point and then also on the other side of that you know getting the forwards to understand that when that happens you know if you're the one that's bringing the puck up and you pass it to a d now you're kind of responsible to be a little bit more up there defensively as well
1: yeah i mean i that always makes me think about uh that chicago steel clip from like six months ago that hardy uh, yeah boy ryan hardy put on twitter and he was Unreal, like this right? is steel offense and i was watching it like i want to puke if i was a defensive team like there's you have no answer to that there's no answer when a team is that good at just no one's playing positions It's just ducking and diving and reading reacting and moving and picking and screening and like that is literally impossible to play against and going back to what we talked about earlier like if a team doesn't just suck to the middle and they chase at all, which almost everybody's going to get sucked into chasing somebody in one of those situations. And now you open up a two on one or a three on two somewhere and you know, how's your daddy? It's in the net. Like you're hooped. It's, it's so fun to play with, with D men and off wingers and centers who are always moving and okay with rolling up top and switching and, very hard to play against defensively for
0: sure. And again, like we talked about earlier, a lot of times wingers are playing wing. Why? Because they're not very good defensively. So if you have D and that winger is your responsibility and you're playing man on man and you're, you're moving that player, like, you're going to beat them (laughs) a lot of the time, you know? Uh, But yeah, using all five guys in the offense, I think is huge. Another great debate nowadays is shot quality versus shot quantity. So I think it has changed in the past couple of years, maybe even a little bit more than that, that analytics has become more mainstream in the game where you're finding that shot quantity isn't as important as shot quality and getting quality chances from inside the scoring zone. If that's what you want to call it, you know, in the slot in front of the net, type stuff. So um, I I think you're seeing a a bit of a shift in how teams are playing now where they're not necessarily trying to outshoot the other teams and shoot from bad angles and, you know, trying to create chaos in front of the net. I think you're seeing teams a lot more nowadays trying to, trying to have quality chances in, in that right in front of the net area.
1: Yeah. I mean, anytime you can shoot inside that house drawing that they draw from the goal line through the dots and up through the middle, like it's going to be a more quality shot I still love off angle shots when guys are shooting for rebounds on purpose with screens and tips because it's yeah. so hard for goalies to control those like it's just you don't want to shoot from a bad angle and shoot high you know like unless a goalie's in the r v h and you're picking him short side, which obviously n h l players can do, but not a lot of kids can do, probably, but like you know it's it's It all depends on who you're playing against, who the goalie is. Is there somebody in front of the net? There's so many factors that uh, determine if you should shoot it or if you should fake the shot, create separation, pull up, hit the late guy, you know, whatever.
0: (laughs) You know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, I love it. It's another thing too, kind of what you're talking about. You talked a little bit about this earlier, like creating time and space, bringing guys to you. When you bring guys to you, it opens up space on the ice, you know, So like in, in all different types of situations when you can do that, I think that's important. I just wanted to mention that quickly because again, I think it's huge. So last thing I want to talk about, and that is mindset. And that is a finishing mindset. Like it's not okay to just be okay and not hungry around the net. And that is something as a coach You really, really, really have to emphasize with your players, finishing drills, having a score, having a competition, having a consequence when you lose something that I've done with my team so far a lot is like, you can tell when there's something on the line that will to finish is a lot higher than, than if not. But I think that mentality that just like, kind of, we got to finish everything is huge because at the end of the day, that, that mentality could be the difference between two goals, in a game which can win you hockey games.
1: Yeah. Can't be talked I, about enough. I I totally agree. And people always, you know, I said to, to think, oh, you, you know you can't score goals from practice and you can't score goals from the weight room and I feel like I was just always trying to prove people wrong like I every shot I took in practice and actually a lot of coaches didn't like this the first drill like I still wasn't trying to warm up the goalie maybe I should have been a better teammate but I also would always go to the goalies and be like I'm gonna go first in every drill and I will always try and score so like you just know that you do your job I'll do my job Unless was like the very first shot and it's like okay I have to shoot from outside the dots but like More often than not, like I was trying to score every time and I was also going to get my rebound every time and I was going to put it in the net even if they weren't looking. I was like, I need to put the puck in the net because me seeing it go into the net is a habit and that's like a mindset and always wanting to finish the puck and it helped me. And, and I, I had a kid on my t- 16th team last year. I feel like I've told this story in the podcast, but he, he was a good player, skilled player he came up to me. had been in a long drought, was not burying. You could see his confidence was completely gone, like head down in practice, missing every open net, stuff like that. He's like, what do I have to do? He called me outside of practice. And I told him, like, look, this is what I did any time I got in a slump. I don't care how long it took. I would never finish a drill until I personally put the puck over the goal line. And I was like, I want you for the next week to put every single puck in the net. I don't care if you ruin a drill. Stay out of the other guy's way. But you finish the puck in the net. He did that the rest of the season for the last two and a half months before Corona canceled it. He became our leading scorer in the last 10 games, goal scorer. No like, way. I swear to God, this is not a joke. I told this story two weeks ago when I spoke to the new U16 AAA team. Like it is, it, it was all mindset. It was all habits. It was all details. And it literally all transpired from him just doing it in practice and making it a mindset thing. Mindset is everything. Yeah. It's I, everything I, I much believe as much as...
0: Oh, I do too. I do too for sure. I mean, X's and O's are one thing. X's and O's are important, but mindset and buy-in and intention for how you play—I mean, that's going to determine ninety-five percent of
1: what you do. Right. And it doesn't just because you can't snipe a goalie from outside the top of the circles. Okay, find another way. It's a mindset thing. So you can't—you're you, not a sniper. That's okay. You don't—you can score goals without being a sniper. Maybe you need to be the rebound guy. Maybe you need to be the tip guy. Maybe you need to be the pass it, then go screen and your teammate scores, but you're getting assist guy. Like, there is a way. So, it's a hundred percent like it is a mindset. You got to just figure out what works for you and your game and your personal skill sets, and, and then just keep doing it over and over and over and over. Success is a boring, detailed thing. Just keep doing it. There you go. It's not sexy.
0: Success isn't sexy. That should be going up in your wall. Success isn't sexy.
1: I I don't say that, but I'm being sexy. You knew what I was going to say. I knew
0: exactly where you were going. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, we should maybe end it on that. We'll end it off with a bang right there. Um, There But this is awesome. I love talking some hockey with you. Uh, Certainly from the feedback that we get, I think our listeners really enjoy it as well. And hopefully you guys, uh, I I learned some stuff here today from you. And hopefully uh, everybody listening can learn some stuff that they can take to your teams and to your practices here coming up, but uh, we wish you best of luck, everybody. I mean, you know, some people are kind of starting up. Some people are not starting up depending on where you live, but if you're starting up, whether it's with games or practices or whatever, we wish you nothing but the best of luck and hopefully you can stay happy and healthy and, and all that as we uh, embark on our next season. So we appreciate you guys so much for continuing to listen to us who obviously want to thank gel sticks and train heroic who are our sponsors for the podcast and uh we look forward to doing this with you guys every week and uh hopefully now that hockey is kind of back you can start listening to us on the way to practice it's just what we want to be we want to be the go-to podcast for for kids and parents and coaches to listen on their way to the rink and uh again we appreciate so much that you guys do for us and uh we'll continue to keep pumping these out and hopefully you'll enjoy this one
1: nothing oh i thought you were done
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks
1: everybody for listening I love you.